Yeah, it's lovely to be with you this morning. Fantastic. That's great to be with all of you this morning. Very exciting and um, looking looking forward to sharing with you. Oh, yeah. Pastor uh, Larry rang me up and he said, could you share a little bit about your work? And um, we were doing a series on uh, evangelism. And I said, well, our, our work is pre-evangelism. And um, our, our, our work is uh, meeting uh, people in their crisis where they're at. And so if you haven't met us before, I work for the Children's Charity Chips we have chaplains in 20 schools. We assist over 70 schools. We run the Life Gets Better camps for children going through major grief and loss. We provide mentors in the schools. Every Wednesday, we run a sailing program at Listerfield for children with possibilities. It's uh, children with all sorts of challenges physically and mentally with the sailing program. And we uh, have bike riding programs, horse therapy programs. We have care animals. We provide food packages, we provide stationery, we provide support to primary school teachers and special support for um, children who find it difficult to, uh, to regulate. And so I'm going to be sharing just very briefly this morning some of the processes that are involved with that and why spirituality and evangelism is so uh, important because all of our work is uh, evidence-based work in secular primary schools. And so... Um, People would say, how can you share Jesus? Uh, because we're very strict about not proselytising with our chaplains and it's very important for our work that if, um, if a Muslim family are sending their children to be on our programs or a Buddhist family or a Hindu family or an atheist family, that we treat them with the utmost respect and the utmost respect for their parents because they're trusting us with their children and often they have a, a very strong cultural background, which reminds me to say, well, Menjika, because we're on Bunurong land and I uh, just pay my respects to elders past and present and also those uh, of our spiritual faith, past and present, because uh, the very first school that was started in this area was started by a man called Mr Lister, who brought opera to Australia and had a big farm that where Listerfield Lake is now, and in the name of Jesus, he donated his property for the very first school in the area. And so uh, the Mechanics Hall, just down the road from you here, was created by a bunch of Christian men. Uh, because they wanted to bless the yeah, the local the local kids to give them jobs and opportunity. The first orphanage that was started over in um, the back of Listerfield, and you can still visit that, called the Boys Farm, became the most productive dairy farm in Victoria and was started by Christian men and women who wanted to just help the boys and girls that they've got value and, and precious. Would you like to help me do something special and I'll give you a puppy dog? Would you like to help me do something special and I'll give you a puppy dog? Pop your hand in there and see what can you find. Is there anything in there? No, that's not very exciting. That's not very extraordinary. Sometimes we've got to look again. Have a look at that. See what you can find now. <gasps> An egg. How exciting. How extraordinary. Now, you watch my hands very carefully, and you'll notice that my hands never leave my wrist. All right, I'm going to make the egg disappear. You're watching my hands carefully? You've got to watch them really, really carefully. There we go. The egg has disappeared. Where is the egg gone? Have a look again. It's not there. Where is the egg? No, no, do you know where the egg is? It's not under my arm. It's not under my other arm either. It's not under my other arm. <laughs> Have a look in there. That's not exciting. That's sometimes we've got to look twice. Have a look again. See what you can find this time. Ah, oh, one more time. Watch really, really carefully. Oh, I'm glad you've come to join me up the front. Would you like to look in the bag next? Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for helping me. You're fantastic. I'll take the egg. I'll see if I can see if I can make this egg disappear one more time as I put the egg in the bag. The egg's in the bag. They're like, don't trust this guy. <laughs> you know, I once went to a job interview and they said, we want somebody who's responsible. I said, I'm the man you want. Because any time anything happened at my last employment, they said I was responsible. <laughs> Have a look. What's in there? No. Nothing. You know, eggs are extraordinary because they're not meant to just be eggs. Eggs get born twice. They get born once as an egg. 
Then they get looked after by their mummies and emus. It's the daddies. <gasps> it's turned into a little wooden bird. He's got wooden wings and wooden legs and he wouldn't work. <laughs> they get born twice. That's why we have eggs at Easter time. So I'm going to give you a puppy at the end and I'm everybody else who helped come down and see me at the table and I'll give you something, something special. Well, this is the little wooden owl, and we're going to have a story about an owl a little later uh, that will help us with what we're doing today. So I'm going to quickly show you a couple of very quick slides, and then we're going to do maybe a couple of extra tricks. You know, sometimes we miss what we're looking for. We could, what we're looking for is right there in front of us. It's there all the time. It's so big, actually, that we don't realise that it's, that it's there. And when it comes to ministering to people in their lives, did you know that 98% of all mental illnesses can be traced to childhood traumas? 98% of all mental illnesses can be traced to childhood traumas. So any work that's done with children uh, is exceptional in for helping with them with not just their mental health, their physical health, but also their emotional health and their well-being into the future. Did you know that uh, within the evangelical churches, the, the research from, I'm sorry, but this is 1985's research, so it is a quite a while ago, but it was quite extensive, found that people who had an active and joyful and powerful faith life had often made commitments as children as children that they've made commitments to the Lord. And so what I want to share with you is Babies, now how important is we respond to children? extremely responsive to the emotions and the reactivity and the social interaction that they get from the world around them. This is something that we started studying oh, 30, 40 years ago when people didn't think that infants could engage in social interaction. In the still face experiment, what the mother did was she sits down and she's playing with her baby who's about a year of age. I'm like a girl. Oh. And she gives a greeting to the baby. The baby gives a greeting back to her. This baby starts pointing at different places in the world and the mother's trying to engage her and play with her. They're working to coordinate. I might have to explain it if it doesn't come back up. Is it, is it something faulty with the, with the uh, technical? That's all right. If it doesn't work, I can always explain it. Um, so this is a very famous experiment that's been done and repeated multiple times now that shows uh, the growth of children. And there's a beautiful verse in the Bible from um, Proverbs 11.30 that says... Uh, that the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. And there's a great theme about trees throughout the entire scripture, starting in the Garden of Eden with the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and travelling right through into Revelations all throughout the scriptures, there are there are illustrations of trees and Jesus himself saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a seed, a smaller seed, a mustard seed, and then that mustard seed is tended to and it grows and it becomes the biggest tree in the garden and it fills the place with life. There is a very definite process to our growth and development. It's very important that that process is allowed to be um, completed. And when that process does complete, we get what's called flourishing in a tree. In fact, in, again, it says in Psalm 1 that the, the righteous man is like a tree whose roots reach down deep into hidden wells in the desert and its trees are green, in all, its leaves are green in every season. So um, I'm not sure if I can go to the next slide, but in that experiment there, the mother takes a bit of uh, a, a moment where all she does is turn away from the child and then looks back at the child and makes her face emotionless. So the child starts to point and expecting the mum to point, but the mum doesn't point. She smiles at the mum, but the mum doesn't smile. So do you know what she does next? She, yes, she screams. We can play it in the background if you like, uh, without the volume though. Um, so 
So what ends up happening is that the, the child um, starts to lose bodily control and you, you see the child break down right in front of you and this all happens within one minute. And so very quickly the mum comes back to life and just recognises the child and re-engages with the child. But what we do know is that it doesn't take long for a child to be ignored for their, their systems to start to, to break down. So maybe we've lost the slides and that's all right. I can, I can do something else if the slides don't come up. <laughs> oh, the, the, so if you just put your hands together like this for a second, that's approximately the size of our brain. The left side controls the right side and the right side controls um, the left side. And we can think of the brain as being a, um, having a, uh, a downstairs and an upstairs. And when we're talking about the brain, we're talking about levels of the brain that I'm going to use as a house. This is from the Steve Bidoff model and it's used throughout the world. It's just a very simple model. I understand it's simple. I understand it's not taking everything into account because this is also a brain. This is also a brain called the entric system. And uh, for instance, we often think that the brain controls uh, our hunger and our thirst. But in actual fact, our tummy is a brain. And so for every signal that goes from our brain to our tummy, there are nine signals that go from our tummy to our brain. And we know that in the levels of survival, there's certain things that will switch the brain on and off that are very important in, to, in relationship to our, um, our actual interactions with each other and with our nutrients and with our entire nervous system which cannot tell the difference between what's real or imagination. So if that's not working, I'll just stop trying to do it if that's all right. Is that all right? Because I don't want to frustrate anybody. But put it this way. At the bottom of your brain, at your brain stem, is called the survival brain. Oh, there we go. <laughs> We're going to have a play, play a trick on me. All right. And it's the basement. And it will keep you alive. It regulates your heart, regulates your temperature. If right now you had to go to the toilet, then you wouldn't be able to listen to me. And uh, if your heart rate was uh, uh, over 100 as an adult, it would be difficult to process what I'm saying. Some of the children I'm working with have heart rates of 162 because they've been through such horrendous traumas. Now, when your heart rate is at 162, you cannot reason. You cannot teach a child to swim while they are drowning. Kevin could not talk to his friend, his neighbour, while he was drunk. He's in a state of trauma. Pre-evangelism is all about helping people to be into a, a state where they can be their true self your true self, not your false self. And the difference is when you're in a survival mode, you're the little you and you're imprisoned by that little you. You're just interested in keeping alive. Now, you could spend all day in the toilet. Don't ever drink toilet water. There's two reasons, number ones and number twos. <laughs> you don't want to do that. But if you want to have a better, a, a more... Um, a life that's fuller and a life that's richer, then every part of your body needs to be engaged. The next room up after downstairs is in a part of the brain called the limbic system. It's this part of the brain right here. And this part of the brain is where all our emotions are held. The survival brain, which I showed you before, is called the dragon brain. You can tame this part of the brain, but you can't train it. So we have to often help children with breathing exercises. We have to help them with nutrients, with good food. So when we take them on camp, we take all sugars out of their life. We give them natural sugars. We use fancy apple peelers and fancy fruit machines so that children that don't normally like to eat fruit, eat fruit. We give them um, beautiful water. 
um, water that's really, um, uh, it's called e-water. And what ends up happening is this helps them with their switching their brain on. Now, if you're really interested in this, there's a, a study called the Minnesota Starvation Study. The Minnesota Starvation Study. We do a lot of work with children, young teens, with anorexia. And what happens to people when their brain is switched off and they're in survival mode? They become rigid, they become rigoristic, and they uh, become in incapable of humour and inflexible in their approach to life. And they become very fixated on their food. And even though they're starving, they'll hoard food. And they have a false image of themselves when they're looking. There's no ability to teach that person while, that while they're in that process. They need nutrients and they need calm, calm before, before they can be able to uh, enter into that next level. Now, this next level here, that's the limbic system, is just like a teddy bear. It's like a teddy bear. That survival brain, that's formed in utero. So that's formed as a little baby in your mummy's tummy. But when you come out, your bear brain or your emotional brain, or it's called the tricky, sticky brain, this tricky, sticky brain it's formed right up until the ages of around 12 and 13. But it's fairly well formed. And the reason why we call it tr the tricky sticky brain or the disco room brain is because it's where all your emotions come to you. Now, as an adult, if I was angry because I hadn't had my, my breakfast, I could say, I'm a bit angry because I haven't had my breakfast. I can talk about it. I can name it and I can tame it. I can hold my feeling. But if you're a little tiny baby and you're hungry, you can't hold your feeling. Your feeling holds you. And so what does a little baby do? And mum says, dinner will be ready in two minutes. Does the baby care? Because it can't hold its feeling. In schools, many teachers and people are trying to to control children's lives by a verbal education during a period when the child cannot hold their own emotions. So they cannot be their true self. They cannot be their true self because they've been held. Uh, this is why you might be walking along the street, you thought you saw a dog, and when you got close, you found it out it was a log. You might be walking along from a distance, you thought saw a tree, and when you got closer, it wasn't a tree, it was me. <laughs> we can, I, was, uh, I was living in Forbes in central west New South Wales. I was very proud to say to my wife when we had a brand new little baby, he's 34 now, but brand new little baby, Daniel, I said, darling, I've just killed a brown snake out the front. I did it all by myself with a shovel. And she said, well done. Then we woke up in the morning, she came in and said, do you know that brown snake you killed last night? She said, I said, yes, did you see it? She said, yes, come and have a look. So I came outside to look at the brown snake I chopped up, and you know what I chopped up? The garden hose. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes this gets, can be, it can, be um, can give all sorts of false information, because in this disco room there's lots of lights and sounds and... And, and it's difficult. So this is a man with his face sticking out called Albert, Albert Einstein. And this is his face sticking in. But if I hold this up uh, and I walk back, even though you know his face is sticking in, what's it looking like to your... Tell your friend what it's looking like to you. Because some people will see this now sticking out. So just put your hand up if you see it sticking out. Yeah. And as, as I walk, it will, it will move. Or if you were to walk, it would seem to follow you around. And that's because this part of the brain does not like dealing with things that aren't certain. So what it will do, it will make something certain that's not real. So it can give you the impression that you can't do something when you can it can give you the impression that you aren't loved when you are. And sometimes this is called uh, the tricky sticky brain and it's also called the little sheep brain. 
Because the little sheep, when he gets all upset, his emotions get out of control. What do you call a sheep falling down a hill? A lambslide. <laughs> but this brings us to the next part of the brain, which is called the upstairs room or um, the story room or the library. It's the biggest part of the brain. It's this part here. In boys, this doesn't finish forming till around their age 26 or 27. In girls, it finishes around the ages of 24 or 25. But it's really, really important part of the brain because if we were to go back before, again, here's the dragon part of the brain looking at our storybook. He doesn't see much because he doesn't care about much other than keeping you alive. If you touch something hot, you'll jump back. If you sit on something sharp, oh, you'll move very quickly. But then your bare brain, your emotional brain, wants to get a picture of everything's around you. It wants to know what's going on. But then your story brain, your story brain will actually change your emotions. It will say to you something like if you're having a, if a mummy's having a bubby, it's like, I can have this pain because I'm going to have something beautiful out of this pain. I'm going to have something, this is a purposeful pain. <laughs> and the story changes the pain. The story changes the picture. The story colours the picture. And what that does when we're going through confusing times is that when we're going through confusing times, it can take our, if we got all our colours and mixed all our colours together, we'd get this colour here, which isn't a colour, it's a shade. So we put all our colours together and we get this colour. But as we tell a story, our feelings get sorted out. And as they get sorted out, they form a holder for our emotions. They become, emotions now become an energy drive for the things that we want to do. So when we're working with children, we teach children confidence by letting them do things unconfidently. We teach them to conquer their fear by playing and having fun with their fear. How do you have fun with the fear? Well, we say to our children who are getting onto the boats in a storm down at the lake, you are pirates going to get treasure. And we have a boat that goes out full of treasure and they sail their boat through the storm to get to the treasure. They stop thinking about how windy and wet and rainy. We've had five boats tip down, fill up with water, and the children still sail the boats all the way to the treasure and all the way back because they were on an adventure. And in an adventure, you can go through hard times. In an adventure, you can uh, cope with all sorts of things that you're struggling with. But that's not the end of the rooms because that story room, as I said, is helping us read our emotions and make sense of them. So we teach children cloud emotions. Clouds have three ways of forming, three specific things. They get created, they get formulated, and they express themselves. Sometimes they express themselves by just disappearing. Sometimes they express themselves with thunder. Sometimes they respect themselves with very loud thunder. <coughs> and lightning and hail and all sorts of things that are happening all at once. But once again, we can say to children, particularly the little ones, I know right now it's dark and it's cloudy and it seems like the sun has disappeared. But do you know where the sun has gone? The sun has gone behind a cloud like this. You're going to be telling your grandchildren about this trick. You better put a seatbelt on your brain because I'm about to blow your mind. Are you ready? Here we go. The sun has disappeared! Disappeared! No, 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 it's disappeared! Oh, no, it's disappeared. It's disappeared. The reason why, but we know it hasn't disappeared. Where has it gone? It's gone behind the clouds and clouds have to express themselves. The conditions make the clouds. What makes the clouds? The conditions make the clouds. The clouds tell us what's happening now, what did happen, and what could happen. 
as a sailor, you have to be able to read the clouds. And we know that even if the cloud starts to rain, I've got my, my rain container here, and the cloud starts to rain. Okay, it rains. And we go, all the rain's gone. All the rain's gone. We know if the conditions stay the same, what's going to happen? The cloud's going to get bigger. And even though it rained, it will rain again. It will rain again. If the conditions stay the same, it will rain again. And if the conditions stay the same, it will rain again. It will just keep raining because of the conditions. The conditions are causing the rain. So all clouds get created, formulated, and then they express themselves. So where did the sun go? The sun was still there. It's just behind the cloud. That's where it is. The sun was behind the cloud. It hasn't really disappeared. So this is really important. This is helping children to make sense of their emotions, to make sense of what's happening to them, and to allow them to move through them so that they can literally move through levels. It's called opening up opening up, giving you new possibilities. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but if you noticed how more children are coming down and more children are curious, because these are brilliant, amazing children. And whenever, whenever people become their true self, they get fun and curious and playful. They get fun and curious and playful. Yeah, playful. In fact, the scripture says in Zechariah, It says in Zechariah, you can see where the kingdom of God has come because the children play freely in the street and the old people smile. And so the top end of flourishing is called the rooftop wonderland. And what we know that all answers to all problems are spiritual solutions in all traditions. All answers to all problems in all traditions are spiritual solutions. Spiritual solutions. Yesterday I was told by a principal that my chaplain at her school has had more effect on the community than 11 psychologists that they've had through. And she said, why is she able to do that? And we said, because she's allowed to pray. Oh, but you're not allowed to proselytise. It's not about proselytising. We do what we do because of Jesus' love for us. We have no expectation on anybody else having to believe what we believe. If I plant a garden, you can eat the fruit. Why? Because I have planted the, the garden. That's all God asks us to do in our life. All he asks us to do is to flourish with him. So... If a little sheep comes up to a big dog, this is a cauliflower dog. <laughs> if he comes up to a big dog and he's scared, the big dog can talk to the little sheep and say, it's okay, I'm here to look after you. I'm here for a safe place for you. I'm here for you. So um, if it's all right, can I please put on the scarf slide and I'm just going to quickly show you something very special and then I'd like to show you a story. So... What we're doing in flourishing and what I find very exciting, can you see my bag of gifts? Can you see my bag of gifts? Can you see my bag of gifts? So what we're doing in flourishing is any time we're involved in flourishing, we are are just helping children to be their natural God-given self. Any time I'm helping a teacher... I'm helping a teacher to be their God-given self. And every single time I've been with a teacher, when their child... We had a child die at um, Bunyip. And it was a a child of a teacher. And they didn't know what to do. So they asked the chaplain to help. And then they asked the chaplain to do the funeral. And then because the little boy who died loved Batman, the chaplain did the entire funeral dressed as Batman. And she said, I'm going to do it as Batman. Then all the teachers dressed up as superheroes. And then all the kids dressed up as superheroes. And then everybody prayed for each other in a secular school. 
because we all need to be heroes for each other at times. And so it's just like this great gift that we're giving each other is the gift of each other. It's the gift of being who we are. Sometimes people can't see that gift. That gift doesn't seem to be there. But what we're saying is, no, no, no. There is a great, great, amazing, extraordinary gift, which is you. You are a different you when you're calmed down. You are a different you. We're teaching teachers that ADHD is not a disability, it's a gift. We're teaching people who have children with autism that their children's autism is not a disability, it's a, it's a gift. I have a child who suffers um, anxiety about being in any group. What we found out was that this child's senses are so highly heightened, you can completely blindfold him and put another fold over him, take him anywhere in the school and he can describe exactly where he is exactly where he is and you take him back to the chaplaincy's room and then he can take you exactly he knows exactly how many steps he's taken in what direction he's taken and it doesn't matter where you take him in the school he's highly highly sensitive highly highly sensitive Uh, because everybody is a gift they're a gift Everybody is a gift if they're given the opportunity. So we give every child in our program a scarf. We have volunteers that make scarves. We've given away probably 18,000 scarves. And I keep wondering if they're going to get tired and stop doing this. But they keep coming. Every week I get a couple of hundred scarves come to my office and every week I give them away. And when we're doing that, we're teaching the kids that they have status Not once was any child ever stopped from coming to Jesus. When the uh, disciples were arguing about who was the greatest and totally ignoring the child in the room, Jesus went over, picked up the little one and said, that one, that's the greatest. That little smiley one there. (laughs) You should see the smiley. (laughs) That one, this one's the greatest. You see, we think people are great when they accomplish something. God just thinks you're great because you exist. God thinks you're great because you exist. God thinks you're great because you exist. You go, I had a little boy called Luke with brain cancer. He was, he was allowed to have any wish that he wanted. He could go to Disneyland. He could have any toy. He could meet any football player. His wish was to go to school every day till the day he died. He went to school every day till the day he died. He had lots, he, he, it changed the way he looked, but all, every little boy and girl said, Luke is a gift. Luke is a? He loved um, paper, what do you call origami butterflies and origami birds. So every child when he died made a, oh, they're really hard to make, origami butterfly and origami bird. He wasn't going to become a doctor. He wasn't going to become a lawyer. He wasn't going to become the the Prime Minister of Australia, but he existed and he was a gift. He was a gift. And so when we give children status, when we give them the certainty that in any time they're with us, they're going to be accepted. At any time they're they're in the presence of Jesus, they're going to be honoured. When we give children autonomy and we say to children, what would you like to do? Because this program's for you, so what would you like to do? Children use play as a form of communication. That is their alphabet. So we teach uh, a lot of teachers and people how to read their child's communication. And children are brilliant. I had a child whose mum was... I don't want to traumatise other children, but something horrendous happened to their mother. Um, And in play, we saw this little child feeding their mother, taking their mother to hospital, her mother, the mother had passed away, all these different things this child was doing in their play that they couldn't express with their words. <clears throat> when we give children relationships that they haven't had before, because if you've been broken in a relationship, you're only going to be healed in a relationship. If you've lost trust because you've been abused by the father that was meant to care for you or the mother who was meant to accept you but couldn't, 
it doesn't matter how many times I tell you God loves you. You need a community around you that loves you. That is evangelism. That is it. Make helping person be accepted. And so the, the most powerful thing we can give to people when they've had injustice in their life is to bring about a fairness to them that they have not experienced before. Because most of the people right now in our prisons are suffering from mental illness and have had great injustices in their life. And certainly they have done horrible things that are unacceptable to our society, but they have never had the safe people in their life to be able to, to bring them back to that space. And you wouldn't believe how, how prisoners have a great sense of justice. So we... When we get toys for children whose mummies and daddies are in prison, we do not give those children the toys. We give them to their mummy to give to them. We give them to their daddy to give to them. Because the whole world thinks their daddy's horrible. The whole world thinks their mummy's horrible. But that little boy and that little girl is, that's my daddy and I love him. And that's my mummy and I love him. And so that's why we just want to give that fairness back, that strength and uh, that encouragement. So I would like to finish with a little story for you, if that's all right. And I'll, um, I'll just get the guys to put the slide up for me. And so I have um, taken up so much of your time. Thank you very much. <laughs> so uh, I have a little boy. Um, his nickname is Hardcore. And he lived up in the hills. And... His mummy died and um, nobody in his family wanted him because he suffers from some autism. At school, every day they would put him in a room and they'd give him an old computer and he'd smash it up with a hammer. And then he got sent to the chaplain. The chaplain said, could you send somebody up who will just be with this little boy? And so a volunteer by the name of Ray Bell went up there and said to the little boy, we can, we can actually make these computers into something. And he found out that the little boy actually didn't want to be inside. And even though he did want to make the computer with Ray, he wanted to do it outside in the garden. While he was outside in the garden, he started gardening in the garden at the school. And he's told Ray that he really likes powerful owls. Ends up this little boy is incredibly clever. He knows everything about powerful owls. He knows that they're the biggest owl in Australia. He knows that they can eat 350 possums a year. He knows that very few people even know that they exist, but they have a huge impact on our environment. He knows that where powerful owls live, underneath the tree are rare orchids because of their droppings, their whitewash. And he knows that powerful owls are often not liked by farmers, but in fact, powerful owls help the farmers because they can also get keep snakes and all sorts of rodents away and... And, and stop the possums from eating their crops. And so if a powerful owl dies, the whole ecosystem falls down. Not many people know as much about powerful owls as Hardcore. Hardcore came on a camp and he couldn't sit like you beautiful boys and girls are sitting. He had to get up and play with all my things while I'm talking. I'll be talking away. And while I'm talking, go, huh, what's this? What's this, Captain Eric? I go, what do you think it is, hardcore? I don't know. And then he'd work out, oh, it's a tadpole and it turns into a, a frog. And I'd be talking away and he'd start to go out, he'd pick something up. What's this, Captain Eric? What's this? Some of the people would say, I think you better get hardcore out. I think he needs to be taken out. But we never take any child out because we believe in bringing children in, not excluding them out, no matter what their behaviour no matter what their behaviour. I said, oh, that's a caterpillar. What do you think it's going to turn into? Butterfly. A frog? It could be. Let's see. Oh, well, butterflies are amazing because I didn't know this, but did you know that they actually turn in the chrysalis completely to liquid? They go completely to liquid when they transform. So hardcore taught me that. <laughs> and then hardcore would just go off and decide not to be in the session and he'd walk around. And then he decided to pull a leaf off a palm tree at CYC camp where we were and he'd come back in and he'd say, look what I got you, Captain Eric. It's a palm, palm leaf. And we'd have to stop the session and he'd tell us about the palm leaf and he'd want to count the frongs and do all sorts of things. 
And everybody at the end of the camp said, you just can't have him interrupting the sessions like that. But we had him come not to one camp, but uh, three. <laughs> and he got more involved and more involved. And he started taking pictures and he made a movie. And at the end, he went to school. And when he got up, and pro- he asked to speak in the assembly. And he got up in the assembly and he said, he said, any boy or girl that's got any problems, come and see me and I'll help you. That's what he said in front of all these kids. And right now, there's a hardcore garden up at his school that he made and is still there for other kids to play with. So there was an owl whose mood was foul, who didn't give a hoot. They called him Growl. He wore a scowl and he lived on an old tin roof. They sent him a night owl in armour. They sent him the boxer Muhammad Ali. He beat them both up, put their feather in a cup and they hid in a hollow of a tree. So the owls gathered together in Parliament to see what could be done. There were so many owls and fowls were there, they seemed to block out the sun. There was the famous magician Houdini, the detective Whodunit and son, the band The Who, their fan Hootenanny. And whoever could who could come. Let's tar and feather him. Let's make a bed of him. Let's not allow him to owl. But who can contest him? Who can arrest him? He is such a powerful owl. But then the chaplain bird lifted his wing and started to sing. Owl by himself. No owl should be. Owl by himself. Huh. Who is his mummy? Who is his daddy? Who will stick up for him? Who is his next of kin? And no one raised a feather at all. He couldn't believe it. He said, even the waterfowl has his friend Tao Lao and the silent jowl, the silent vowel has a jowl Lao to sing. Before, before we condemn him, let me befriend him or at least take him under my wing. Hootman, said the Scottish owl. You're a fool. He'll rip off your cowl before you have time to sing. You think every bird's good and belongs in the wood, but this is an evil thing. That might be so, but still I will go. And then he did something new. He flew as far as can be and sat in a tree. It took him all of a week, as quiet as can be. He watched and he see. His eyes, they did not even blink. He looked for the how and the why and the when and the what and the who, put the who in the who. And before very long, by just watching, he found out what was wrong and why this owl was in a terrible mood. Do you want to know why? He was suffering irritable owl syndrome, (laughs) a condition that was quite rare. There was no one to befriend him. He was so stressed, his feathers blew off in the air. His beak was broken, so no word could be spoken. And there seemed there was no one who'd care. So they came along and sing him a song. And they would give him feathers and medicine and kind words to say. And they'd yell, yoo-hoo, friend, as they passed by every day. But you know what the most important thing they did for this bird wolf prey was? They came by to play, to play, just to be with him each day. And before very long, even though his bird was broken, he found a song and he, with his talented talents, would play. I'll buy myself, I'll never be, I'll buy myself. Because everyone needs someone. And we are in a faith that adopts. That's what we're in. So... Do we have to have people that only believe what we believe to adopt them? No. You see, if everyone's going in the same direction with the same idea, that's a cult. But if everybody has a thousand million different ideas but is still going in the same direction, that's a movement. And the reason why the Christian faith took the world was that the disciples' first work, if you look in the Acts was to feed and care for the poor. That was their very first act, to accept all children, to take them in and say, if that child on a street hasn't got a family, 
They can be in our family. And in India, some of the orphan, Christian orphanages who took in Muslim children teach them the Muslim faith, not the Christian faith. Why? Because God's big enough and they make the decision themselves. And when any person can be themselves, they will fully flourish and they will fully believe in God because you were always made to be in relationship with God. So this is what pre-evangelism is. I love it. I can't stop doing it. And thank you for letting me take the time to share it with you today. Bless you guys. Thank you. Yeah, I could just be Kevin, and yes, big loud American. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Well, I love that. I love that pre-evangelism. Like I've never really thought of pre-evangelism, and yet it's something that comes naturally when you find yourself out there. It's like, are we prepared to evangelize? Are we prepared to share the gospel? Have we prepared room in someone's life? to actually hear what it is we might say or to see us for who we actually really are. So I love that. Thank you, Eric. Put your hands together for Eric. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, Eric, you've got some things uh, at the front, yes? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the way it works is you can make any sort of donation you want and pick what you want. Uh, the only thing that's actually for sale are the puppies. So the, the textures and the pens and those sorts of things, you can just say, oh, I'll, you know, I'll give you this for that. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, we've, we've got a couple of testimonies. Uh, obviously, this year is about sharing the gospel. It's about getting it out there. It's about witnessing to people. It's about engaging with people, about being engaged in your community and looking out and listening out for this one and that one that God might lead you to. And Romeo, you've got uh, a couple of things to share. Hallelujah. We'll just share this real quick. Um, thank you, Captain Eric. But you were one of the instrumental people in the start of my Christian journey. Um, I was doing kids' ministry. That's when I knew you about your ministry. Um, um, we were given a call last Sunday by my wife, and she was very passionate about it. Um, I was a bit reluctant, frankly speaking. Um, did that kind of bit in the early ministry part when I started my journey, but then I went into a different phase of ministry. If he called me for another, another ministry, would be casting out demon and all, call me, I'll be there. But uh, this kind of thing was, was something that, oh, it resonated, oh, what am I doing? Um, and um, the, the, from Wednesday onwards, I just started speaking to myself and just understanding one of my mentors saying, prophesy over yourself. So I started prophesying, no, I'm going to do this. And I, I'm going to do this, uh, whatever it takes. I'm going to do this. Um, so on Sunday, I asked God what to do, take a book. So I took my book with me and a pen. Um, and um, I do believe in pre-evangelism. That's correct. Um, and what happened is that I was, I said, what should I do? Go to Foreign Gate. Went to Foreign Gate. Hearing God was the only thing that I know very well is hearing God and obeying. That's all I knew. So, um, and that's all the resource I have. So I started take the book with my hand. I went, Foreign Gate, pick up the food made the kids, uh, asked Rachel, let's sit at the play area with the kids. And we sat there. And I, as I was sitting there and I saw um, the kids playing, um, thanks to one of the youth uh, worship singer who sang, Give Me Jesus. That song was resonating in my head. And I started singing. I was literally sitting there and I was singing. And uh, one person walks by quite grumpy because of his child just moving around. He walked away twice. And then another lady was taking care of the two kids. She was just, you know, and trying to hold, making sure at the fence the kids don't run out. But our, and beautiful kids having Elsa band-aids, which was very cute. And then um, I started, and then I started writing a note because I knew I'm going to give this note to this lady. And um, I wrote a note, and then uh, she was looking, where is my child? I said, oh, there he is. And then I said, this is the chance. And because I gave a smile to her initially, she walked, um, and then I said, thank you for that. I said. Are you okay? I'm a Christian person. I already established who I am. I'm a Christian person. 
That's my wife whom you must have just seen. That's my kid playing there. I would like to give you a note. He said, oh, and she took the note and she put it in the bag. And then she said, can I open the note? He said, yes, you can. And when she opened the note, she, she just broke down. And he said, can I give you a hug? And she gave me a hug. And the next step I did was I sat with her, with the two kids, and I prayed for her right there because that's what God wanted to do. Didn't want to preach about gospel, but she, she needed love at that time. So I do believe pre-evangelism. That's correct. Then afterwards, my wife spoke to them. She spoke about the gospel. She did her thing. But I did the first bit. You say, God and Pastor Larry is right. We are all called to do evangelism. We are all called to do. We need to choose. Then last, yesterday, we have men study. All the men over in this house, please do come. We do a great study. We had men's group having a study. A few men were absent because of their, not there because of the COVID and whatever reasons. They couldn't make there. And there's one dude walks in with a limping leg. And uh, one person in our group who is a full-on evangelist, he said, can I pray for you? And uh, I admire his guts, you know. He's, he's full-on. And he said to him, that, can I pray for you? He said, oh, he was struggling, you know. I, 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 I like started doing. And then, we, uh, then our lead, who leads the men group, he said, uh, do you believe in healing? And then we had a discussion on it. Um, Mr. Shami walks in and us, and then we, Shami says, let's pray. And then myself, Shami, Dushi, we all surrounded, all the other boys, and we started praying over this guy. This guy was on his leg lifted. For no, he started trembling. He started trembling, and he was like, we just prayed over this man. And then he sits, he said, I don't know why I was shaking. I don't know why I was shaking, and the pain is gone. And the other feet, there was a little bit of pain, but that pain, I had an ingrown nail. That also stopped hurting him. So this is what God does. When you put yourself, God can do anything because he has given us the authority. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah.